Hello and welcome to episode 7 of From the B.O.L. End. Before we get going, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone for tuning in last week in record numbers. Our transfer special with Sasha Tavieri saw us fly up the charts into the top 25 of all football or soccer, if you prefer, podcasts in the UK. Also, thanks to the many new followers who joined us on Twitter. We have a lot of plans for this podcast for when the season gets closer and even more for when the action actually begins in August. But there's still plenty to talk about with the new kit, never-ending transfer rumours and all the friendly matches. So, let's get stuck in. So, before we get into the transfer news, and we have a surprise mini-guest for you on that front, let's just quickly talk about the new Burnley kit that came out this week. Justin, you're back from the capital of fashion and our aesthetics expert. What do you, what do you make of it? Um, I I think the only word to use to describe it is a bit disappointing, isn't it? I mean, the club is usually pretty good at playing sort of homage to the past. I think uh, they they do a really good job with that sort of thing. But and and they've said, haven't they, that this kit is based on this 1994 shirt? But I, I really I can't see it at all. Um, I, I I just think it's a bit it's a bit of a weak effort. It, it's a missed opportunity. Um. I, I do wonder if my sort of dislike of it is based on the fact that it's got that sponsor on the front because there's no way I'm paying money to walk around with that logo on my shirt. And I, I don't see why they don't offer a version of it without the logo on, without the sponsor's logo. I'd, pay, I'd definitely pay more for it, and I'm sure a lot of other people would. Apart from that, I don't, it's, it, it's 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 bit of a shirt with of, blue sleeves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a real hard no on the blue shorts and the claret socks. Though. I'm not having that. That that is not traditional, is it? It's got to be white white shorts and hoop claret and blue hoop socks, hasn't it? I do love the hoop socks. Yeah, I mean, Greavesy, what's your thoughts on it? I mean, it's a. I feel similar to Justin. Really, it's a bit uh, a bit. I don't think we're going to remember all the the twenty three twenty four season kit, do we? No, and that's the thing, isn't it? I think I have now seen, I think the, the pictures, what I would say that I think the launch pictures look great in terms of, you know, the, the exploding dust and things like that. So there's a real aesthetics to that. I really like that. And I think there is a kind of a pattern within the jersey, which gives it a little bit of added something. And I think when I've seen the picture of JJ Watt holding the shirts up, the colour is kind of like the 93, 94 It is Wembley. different than... The- than how it sure. looks on the promo stuff, yeah, isn't it? and that, but it's just for me, it's a missed opportunity. I mean, Umbro have had that that kind of tapering, that trim, using the Umbro diamond, which they could have had on the collar, could have had it on the end of the sleeves, and that to me would have just gone. That's 93, 94. That's what I was expecting. That's the thing you remember about 93, 94, which is probably one of my favourite shirts. And it just looks like a missed opportunity. We know Umbro can do it because Everton had the diamonds on the edge of the sleeves a couple of years yeah, ago. So yeah. they could have easily done it. Um, as it is, and I agree with Justin, that logo and even the kids' logo um, would have been better. I'd, I'd have happily had a dude perfect. I'm sure we'll come on to dude perfect at some point. Um, you know, the, the dude perfect sign on the front of the kit rather than that. that It just makes us look like Villa and the shirt looks like an off-the-peg you know, you're logging on to Umbro forward slash custom shirts for your, your pub team on a Sunday. That's the template. It just looks a lazy effort from my point of view. When when Umbro, actually, I think, have, have produced some really nice kits for us 
Um, and I, I just, I don't know where the breakdown's been, but for me, it's a, nah. And I think we were spoiled a bit by last year's being so bloody good. But yeah, I just think it's, yeah, a tad disappointing or whatever Justin used, a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, for me, you know, all the build-up, signing up for the bloody email to then get, not get the email. There's a lot of people didn't get, I didn't sign up. Um, Chris got the email, of course. <laughs> what was the point of that? Well, it's it's marketing. It's it's a it's a well trodden marketing path. I got told, like I'd never been involved in marketing or journalism or anything on that score. But um, listen, it's there'll be lots of fans uh, of it. I think in the flesh, it's going to look better. That bloody W though, oh, yeah, just ruins it. We did a version, didn't we, on his Twitter feed without the W? We got rid of the W, and it looks instantly a better kit. I would happily walk around as Justin said, having paid an extra five or a tenner for that shirt. They, they have actually the put, they have put some out, put some pictures out with the players wearing a, a version of it without the logo, that sponsor's logo on. I think, I wonder if that then it, means that there's going to be a version it without it. I don't know. It does look good. Bournemouth and West Ham, yeah. Bournemouth and West Ham are putting out sponsorless. They're both on bro. So yeah, there may exactly. be a possibility. It can be done, I think what, what would be a compromise? What would be a compromise? And it seems to be, you know, back in the day, if you remember Ensley, the logo was like a gold, you know, yellow gold colour Ensley's logo. But if, mm-hmm. if it was on a Burnley shirt, it was white on claret. You know, it, it mm-hmm. was claret on yellow. It was claret on blue and so on and so forth. That would be a compromise to me if you had the entire logo in white. You know, I don't know where we've gone with these sponsors now, where they have to have their that colour scheme on it. Put the put the yeah, put their entire logo on colours and all. Like you look at the Chevrolet one at Manchester United, it just it's absolutely appalling. It, but mm. if it, you know, if you go back go back in the day and you had sharp electronics there, or you know, you just use the colour the, the opposite to what the home strip was or whatever. Yeah, I mean, talking. You know, you were interesting. You're saying about like past Umbro kits and stuff, and how they missed a trick there. And you write about the, them Everton sleeves, but it, I did think when yesterday, and I thought I went and had a look at some of our previous kits, and of course, the first Umbro kit that I can really remember. I mean, the V was an Umbro kit, wasn't it? But the, but they but um, they were they were a bit more discreet in those days, weren't they? The Umbros and the Adidas, they didn't have all their branding throughout the whole thing. But I remember there was, I think it'd be about 78, 79, 80 sort of period. There was an Umbro shirt, silky shorts, everyone called them. They were, they, they did have like, um, and it was a very sort of shiny sort of material. You remember it with the diamonds mm, down the sleeves that. and everything that like, I think probably uh, who, who would have been in that team? Well, Peter Noble had still been around, I think, possibly. No, but. Martin Dobson, when he came back, wore that kit. I think. I'm know. thinking. I'm thinking. I can see uh, Stevie Kinden in that shirt. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Kinden, when he mm. re-signed, would have worn that shirt, wouldn't he? With mm. his chest rippling out the front of it. But, yeah, um, it was like a V-neck, wasn't it? That would have been a really nice retro shirt to do with the diamonds mm. down the sleeves and stuff. But yeah, I suppose we have to wait for the away kit. Really, I mean, I was thinking now that I don't have to pretend to be objective walking around uh, England and stuff that. Um, you know, I can wear a Burnley shirt over here and it's not like, you know, what kind of journalist wears a team shirt sort of thing. But I'm not going to buy this one. I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see what the away kit looks like. I don't know. Has there been any clues about the away kit, what it might be? No, I've not seen out. I presume we'll have a white one and a blue one, I presume. But um, 
I don't know. I'm waiting for the. Uh, I'm waiting for. I'm a right type bastard. I'm waiting for last season's uh, home shirt <laughs> to be lower than forty quid. I mean, they made a big thing of the kit sale yeah. up to seventy five percent off. Get the shorts about seven fifty. The home shirt, bearing in mind that the new one is available from Saturday, um, is still forty quid. As is the third kit, and I like both them. If I get them both for forty quid, uh, if Alan Pace is listening, if he could do me a deal, two for forty quid. One home, one third <laughs> kit. Uh, I'll take get the drill tops back in as well. Get the drill top. We were talking about that, weren't we? The drill tops are just incredible. The retro umbral drill tops. Yeah, there's a mite one at the minute for 150 quid on eBay. And now I've said that on the podcast, there's no way I'll be able to get it because my wife will know <laughs> if I walk around the house in a mite of drill top, it's cost me 150, 150 notes. So, but yeah, umbral drill tops, that's what we want. What what are we saying? What are we saying about the new the uh, badge not being the sort of single colour badge on the shirts? That's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? After all that, feel, feel mm. a bit daft now. Getting really annoyed about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> tradition. Well, it is a tradition. It should be the club badge, and it is. I wonder if the delay was because they've changed it back to the original badge. I don't know. I'm being a bit uh, facetious there. I think they put it on the shorts as well, just to make us look even more foolish. <laughs> yeah. It'll be on the dugouts. It'll be on the. Uh, it'll be everywhere. We'll, we'll arrive at Turf Moor for the City game, and there'll be no none of this monochrome badge anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, I think the TV it... channels. It's been sent out all, well, to yeah. all the TV companies. So I do think the jersey's a, a bit of a grower. I I, I kind of like it slightly more now than I did yesterday when it first launched. Hmm. Um, I, I'll probably have a wander down to the turf and have a look at it on on Saturday just to have a look at it in the flesh. But... The other thing to say about it as well is I think shirts tend to be more popular um, if we've done, if we've had a good season, don't they? You know, the, we remember the ones that we've played well in. So that's why the 91 night, that, the one that, that uh, Greavesy is uh, modelling now, that's why we remember that so fondly because that was such a great season. And so, similarly with the last last season as well, because, you know, and when, when we do versa. well. Yeah, of course, yeah. Multi part still gives me shivers when I see multi <laughs> But that's uh, that that template that Greaves is what I mean. You re, you, if you look back, you remember like Norwich winning in uh, in Munich with the with yeah, their version, and Coventry had a Coventry version, didn't well. they? And it was all it was all uh, you know, they, they really sort of I don't know, they pull on the art scenes, I suppose, of all the, of all those clubs. It's just a, a nine the 90s was a really sort of wild time for design, and it's uh. It's good to see some clubs are sort of. Uh, you look at the the England training shirt for Russia, twenty eighteen, which should have been the home England shirt. Yeah, it was yeah. like a sort of a a, a version of the old eighty two strip, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. with yeah, a very yeah. modern a very modern slant on it. But they didn't quite have the nerve to make it. I'd like I'd like to see a bit more invention along those lines, really. But. I'd like to see Pony coming back in. Do you remember the Pony kits? West Ham, <laughs> Southampton, Coventry, with a with a Pony V. I'd love to see. I'd love to see Pony kits back in. But there we go. I didn't. Re- I didn't. Re- didn't realise this because no, having known of Pony for thirty odd forty years, but it's it's is it product of New York or something like that? I never knew that. <laughs> I didn't even. That's that's incredible. No, no, no. There you go. The things you learn on from there the old one. Yeah. <laughs> Right, enough about kids. Let's move on to what we're all interested in, transfer news.
So, plenty of business to talk about in the transfer market. No further developments on James Trafford's move to Turf Moor. One presumes that things are going to plan. But we all got to have a sneak preview of what we can expect from the young keeper in England's triumph over Spain in the Euro Under-21 finals. And what a performance from Jimmy Trafford it was. Um, who, had, who, who saw that? Did we all see it? Or anyone just see the highlights? Or I think we've all seen the saves, haven't we? Yeah, just saw the... Uh, I kind of caught the the last little bit, really. Probably his, his best part of it, really. But I think we were kind of scratching his heads about paying 15 million quid for a goalkeeper who'd never played above League One. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if he listens to the podcast. I presume he does. Most people do, given last week's figures. Um, you know, such confidence as well. I think he said after the game that, you know, I told someone this morning I was going to save a penalty. And apparently Cole Palmer, who's also been linked with a move to Burnley, by the way. Um, there's footage, I think, him of him on the bench when the penalty gets given saying he's going to save this. And it's a brilliant double save, isn't it? I mean, he's got mm-hmm. the kind of the foresight to, he's made a save, get back up, make yourself big, and he sweeps it away with his foot. And again, 15 million quid for a goalkeeper that's still never played above League One level record-breaking at the under-21 Euros, you know, didn't concede a single goal, you know, looked good in the bits when he was kind of called upon. And most of the time, England were breezing through those games, but there were always moments where he had to keep switched on. Um, And that's what really impressed me, that confidence. Dan Barnes talked last week about this confidence, not coming from a place of arrogance, but genuine belief that he has all the tools in his toolkit. And, you know, once we get it over the line, I'm saying it like that because I believe it probably is that. I think there's just been a delay on the medical and tying things up because of his time off and England commitments right. and things. I, I think he'll be a superb signing. Yeah, the second the second part of the save for me was the best bit. I mean, you know, goalkeepers do save penalties. It was a bloody good save to keep out keep out the kick. But like you say, to, to react so quickly and get in right position and be alert and the reflexes and everything. Top, 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 top class. Yeah, Boards, did you see it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was, apart from the fact that it wasn't a penalty to begin with, it was, no, you know, it not, not, not all contact is a penalty. I just thought it was a, a farcical decision. And uh, But again, you, you I'm just listening to sort of little snippets of his teammates and, uh, you know, from, it sounds like he's developed, you know, obviously, if there's any young lad will, but he's developed into this real, strong personality and character and it agrees you mentioned that you know the arrogance where I think people look at you know you look at the belief Dean Henderson had at Manchester United and a lot of people seem to criticize him for having you know having that faith in his own ability and it you know it seems it seems to go against him but uh, yeah Trafford seems to he's just got that sort of presence you, you, you know you, you felt like it you know having not seen an awful lot of him but you know, he just felt like he was going to make something happen at that moment. And uh, to say the second mm-hmm. save, absolutely superb. And uh, I'd say Taylor Harwood Bellis was on Five Live yesterday morning. Uh, they, they played a clip of him after the game where he said he's, he's the best goalkeeper I've, you know, I've, I've ever played with. And he, he backtracked slightly in a live interview, but he, he just said, you know, he, he, the lad's got absolutely everything to be, uh, you know, a top level, you know, talent for years to come. And I've, not saying anything to uh, suggest he won't. I think he's going to be tested a little bit more if, in the Premier League than he was in, in that tournament. But I think, and that 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 double save, as incredible as it is, it's just a moment, in, isn't it? I think I think what's more important is 
like everyone else has said, the, the things that the people closest to him have, have been saying about him, about his temperament, there doesn't seem to be any doubt whatsoever in everybody's mind that he's going to be a top keeper and that he probably will be England's number one at some point. I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot, don't we, with transfers about risk and £15 million rising to £19 million seems like a big risk, doesn't it? But I, judging from what people are saying about him, it's about as close to a no-risk transfer as you could possibly come up with. And uh, immediately he starts playing for us in the Premier League if things go as as they should go, if what people say about him is correct. He's 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 worth more than we pay for him as soon as he starts a game. So I, it, all, it all looks... That's, that's sort of the sort of thing I do on Football Manager by the England under-21 goalkeeper. So I'm... Uh, I'm all, uh, I'm all for it. It was funny on social media how many people, like within minutes of him saving that penalty, were like, "Worth every penny," you know. The <laughs> <laughs> last yeah. week, we're all, "How much?" <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's football fandom for you, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's been no developments on that front, uh, no further arrivals at all on in, into into Turf Moor. But there's one deal that appears to have been called off at the last minute. The France youth international Sumala Koulibaly's proposed move from Borussia Dortmund, uh, which was also a big one, money one that we talked about last week, possibly uh, a 15 million mandatory buy clause next year, which effectively means you're buying him for 15 million, you're just not paying it until next year. Um, Apparently that move is off. The news was broken by Twitter's transfer scoop maestro Fabrizio Romano and we asked him for the background on what went wrong. My understanding is that the deal between Barnley and Borussia Dortmund for Sumaila Koulibaly is now off and at the moment all parties involved don't see any chance to revive the move. Never say never in the transfer window but at the moment the deal is off and there are no fresh contacts today to make it happen. What happened is that the player already had first part of his medical at Barley. Everything was in place between the two clubs on a loan deal with a mandatory buy close for summer 2024. So everything was almost ready. Then when was the moment to exchange the contracts and the documents? They found some problems in the agreement for the mandatory close. So they started to discuss again the terms of the close and there was no agreement on some crucial details to make it happen on permanent transfer in summer 2024. This is why the deal collapsed and now uh, the expectation is for Sumaila Koulibaly to obviously return to Borussia Dortmund and uh, assess his options for the future. So there you go, Fabrizio Romano giving us the details there on what went wrong with the Koulibaly deal. And uh, yeah, nice of him to do that. Very kind of him. Um, and I think, you know, the interesting thing there is, you know, something went wrong in the in the mandatory part of it. it it's not an option to buy. It's a mandatory purchase a year later. I'm wondering if it's not a sort of Veghorst type clause or something related to us going down. Possibly, you know, if we went down, would we be able to get out of the deal or some way? I mean, if Burnley are sort of balking at it because of that, you would think it's some get out clause that we wanted to have in there where we could back away from it. Um, I don't know. I'm guessing at that. Uh, Chris, what do you make of that one? That's that's the only thing that would sort of make any sense, really. But uh, let's say this similar-ish situation with Jordan, you know, with Jordan Bayer last summer, where uh, you know there was the option there. The, you know, they, they they sort of acted on the option not long after the end of the season. But if this one's mandatory, as you say, you want to you want to cover your bases. 
you know, we don't know how much football is likely to have this season. You know, what, what is he going to break into a, you know, that, the, the centre back pairing or potentially a three if uh, Vincent surprises us and goes down that route? But uh, yeah, it's, it, you, you wonder when things like that break down, you wonder is there something in the medical? But uh, as I say, it's all come out about this, you know, the mandatory clause. I, I, I note he's had a, he's only 19, he's had a cruciate ligament injury already. At, at, at Dortmund, but, uh, he's he certainly sounds. I mean, not not one to doubt his Vincent scouting network. He's you know he sounds like he's been likened to uh, Upper Meccano at Bayern Munich, who uh, you know is a, a super super player, quick player. He's got that left left foot for that balance, like uh, like with Bayer, and uh, you know all signs point to him being you know an astute signing. But uh, maybe that one will come out in the wash. Not sure. Well. I- as I, as I was saying about James Trafford, that uh, that being a no risk uh, sort of deal, this one to me always seemed like a real risky deal from from the start. Um, so, and I was a bit confused about about this idea that we buy him to pay for him next summer rather than paying for him now before he's. I just feel I think that's just a really odd way of way of doing business. You don't know what sort of a season he's going to have. You don't know whether he's going to fit into the squad. You don't know whether he's going to, you know, blossom or fade in the in the Premier League. You don't even know how many games he's going to play. So to agree to pay, I mean, if it's true that we 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 had agreed to pay fifteen million for him, it just seems a bit of a risky way of going about your business, doesn't it? It does, but it does raise the question now. If if we felt the need to have another centre half in the squad, do we uh, grieve it? Do we go back to Manchester City and say that lad we had on loan last year, we we will sign him for you from for fifteen million or whatever the fee might be? I, I do wonder whether that that has played some part in the kind of thinking because as you know, as Fab said there, it's it you know everything was in place. You know, it sounds like they had the agreement and then you know the contract is sent over for checking and suddenly there's something either party doesn't doesn't quite like in that whether whether we'd kind of had a an agreement that you know the price would would be based on number of appearances would be based on surviving because i think um i think leeds had a similar deal for is it weston mckenney i think when when he came on loan i think that was a kind of 30 million pounds by clause and I think that was pretty much set in stone but obviously on relegation that that no longer became the um you know wasn't activated or you know Leeds could get out of it so I do wonder if there's a bit of that I, I'm not sure if it'd be based on relegation I, I you know I get the impression that whilst companies not talking about you know finishing 17th I think there's a confidence there that you know, we wouldn't, you know, we're, we're not thinking about relegation. We're not setting up to finish 17th, which I think puts you in a weird place when it comes to expectation and 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 kind of, you know, what's going to happen. But I just wonder whether the, the kind of news becoming public, if you will, that City are willing to listen to offers of roughly the same price for Taylor Harwood-Bellis, whether we've got a, you know, one eye on that as a potential deal. As well, I don't know. I just, I think you know, Chris has mentioned it a few times. I think we were all in agreement that that is a no-brainer. You know, he is going to be somebody a bit like Justin said with James Trafford. <laughs> you know, you pay, you buy him fifteen million, you're going to get at least your investment back. You know, we've seen Wolves do likewise with with Nathan Collins. You know, that does, you know, he does feel like less of an investment risk 
Whereas this guy, two first team appearances and 19 yeah. appearances in the German third tier, you know, the scouts and the data must suggest he was worth going for. I just wonder now if, as Sasha mentioned last week, you know, that plate was just stopped and taken off its pole and we've just decided to to kind of back out of that deal for whatever reason. Yeah, it was interesting reading some of the German newspaper coverage on it. Um that in 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 Dortmund, the local papers there, their reaction was like, Wow, you know, this money's coming. Well, but Dortmund not gonna say no to this one. Like he's only played a game and it was like you know, they were they couldn't believe it almost, you know. It's the tone of it was was very much like, you know, these English fools have like come in to buy our reserve center off for fifteen million. But um uh, I, I it did seem a really risky one, I agree with Justin on that. It just it just and you know I don't know the relegation one. It doesn't mean you don't have ambition. If the financial people are they not going to turn around and say, "Hold on a minute, you're committing us to spending 15 million, which is still for Burnley a big amount of money, isn't it, for in our transfer budget? Um, we're going to do that, whatever happens, whatever happens, yeah, like whether exactly. we, you know. So, I think yeah. it's what it, I think it's a potentially dodged bullet. Is that one um, one that's still ongoing and. Uh, Great friend of our podcast, Sasha Tavalieri, reporting today that uh, Burnley have bid 15 million euros for Metz's Georgian international striker, Georgi Mikartudzi. Um, that's really bad pronunciation, but uh, it's the best I can do. That 15 million bid has been turned down by the French club, but he's saying that they're waiting for an offer of around 20 million, which usually means that you can get where somewhere in the middle, maybe. Um, are we going to buy the bullet and spend 18 million on him, Chris? Do you see him as a, a potential one? It, it, again, it depends. I see we, we've not got access to the to the budget. Obviously, there's still lingering talk of uh, of Teller, you know, potentially right. again for sort of ballpark figures. Now, are we calling Teller a forward option or a wide option? It, you know, it's it it, it, it depends. But uh, sounds like you know the the Burnley have competition from from Lazio in the in uh, for for Mikotadze and uh, to play as a backup to Immobile, so he might not even start. You know, so that's maybe where Burnley can hold the aces if they can sort of say, "Listen, come to us, and you're playing the Premier League week in week out, pretty much." But uh, yeah, he a lot of stories that Immobile to... might be leaving Lazio actually. Yeah. yeah, they've lost a couple, haven't they? This. Uh, this summer, I believe. So, uh, yeah, they're obviously in 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 that market. But uh, apparently, he loved. He, he's a Leon lad, and he, he you know his his dream would be to to play for Leon. But uh, I don't know whether 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 they'll come calling or not. But we've seen we've all seen the figures. You know, it, it's not just goals; it's assists with Mikotadze and uh, had a little look at him playing for uh, for George against Scotland the other week, and uh, you know, in the in the farcical game that was. Uh, was stopped and restarted with the weather. So he's uh, he's got something. He's got he's, he's one of those sort of ice cold killers, if you will. You know, I think I very much like him. I think in the Premier League, you need that sort of clinical edge. Mm. You know, you need someone who's going to snap up the chances that you do create. And he looks like that type. Somebody compared him to me. Somebody compared him to uh, Danny Ings. I don't know. Does he look that sort of player? Well, it's one of those. Isn't it? He's, he's got he's got that bit, that bit of ability as well. So it's you know you can probably see where that comes from. But 
maybe to me it looks like he'd scored more goals than than a Danny Ings. I think Ings he had uh, he had good seasons in terms of goals, but uh, I think over his career, I don't think you'd call him prolific. But uh, it's again, it's we're looking at that ballpark figure, aren't we? It's if he's twenty two, if you're going to spend that sort of money on him, you, you know, you're likely to uh, you know to you know make make money on him. You'd suggest. I always think there's got to be something in stories, though, when it's somebody who last window we were linked with as well. And, you know, that that does seem like he's somebody that that we've tracked, although, of course, that was the case with Bruggen as well, wasn't it? But uh, it's no guarantee. We had our fingers I mean, wrapped, yeah. We had our knuckles yeah. wrapped for, for asking Vincent Company about Mick Ortanzi. It was the very, you know, the week I finished last, last year and... Uh, yeah, the club were, you know, why, why, why have you asked about him sort of thing? Well, it's because his name is linked in the national media at the weekend. You know, it's <laughs> every, right every right to ask the question. But, uh, yeah, like, as you say, so it's obviously one who's been on the list and uh, he's he's had one of those seasons where his value's probably gone up threefold. Greavesy, I mean, there is always that thing about, you know, you start thinking, well, if we do, if we do go and, and spend 18 or 20 on him, does that mean we're not signing Teller? I'd be I'd be really disappointed if 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 next season we start without Teller in the side. I think that'd be a major to lose Teller and Matson from from last year's team would would and possibly uh, Harwood Bellis as well would would be disappointing. Really, I think at the end of last season we all sort of assumed that the first item of business would be to get our best loan players signed up for the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think we probably got our best loan player, didn't we, in Bayer, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, signed up nice and quick and that was obviously done before the season. But yeah, I think um, you know, Miko Tadzi, I think, was the one that I'd kind of really hoped we we would get in because, you know, we, we talked about his figures last year. I think the season before he was in Belgium in the top flight, and I think he got 19 goals in 21 games or something ridiculous. It's kind of like two seasons at, you know, probably roughly the same level, probably lower end championship, mid championship level. Um, but I think from him, from his point of view, as Chris was saying, he's this kind of stone cold killer. He looks like, you know, from an, you know, from a running at defenders, from a breaking beyond defenders, one on one. He looks to have, you know, all the attributes that you think about in terms of would they fit into the Premier League um, you know and that's that's the thing for me but like you say there's a lot of these 15 million quids adding up isn't there 15 million for Arwood Bellis 15 million for Teller you know this is the price I mean they must just you know Alan Pace must ring them up and the opposing chairman just goes yeah all right Alan 15 million <laughs> it's crazy isn't it but that seems to be the going rate for where we are and I'm glad it's at that level rather than at the 25, 28, 30 million, which, you know, a lot of teams slightly further up the pecking order do get quartered for players of roughly the same stature. Mm. They're saying they've been, they've been they're linked with, uh, again, with Che Adams at Southampton and the price again being quoted is 15 million, which I would find <laughs> absolutely astronomical. For, obviously, it's Sean Dyche and Everton have been, have been linked with him. There was... It was interesting in, uh, you know, it's going back, it was a January, about two and a half years ago or so. I, I can remember the, his agent was Clive Platt, who used to play at Rochdale, uh, turn of the millennium. But uh, I always thought he's he's one of those, man. I think he's very limited, Adams. He, he, you know, he's, he's quick, he's physical, but 
don't score anywhere near enough goals. And uh, yeah, that sounds like one that's being regurgitated to try and get him a get him a move out of the championship. To be honest, well, Dash seems to be going back for a few a few. I mean, Ashley Young was a player he tried to sign for Burnley, and if he goes for Shea Adams, that's another one. And uh, talking of players uh, who signed for Dash is Burnley and have uncertain transfer futures um, this week. Woot Weghorst was back at Gawthorpe. Um, I don't know what to make of this one at all. I mean, he, he's 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 obviously upset a lot of people around the club, the fans, whether that's fair or not. That's certainly the impression. Um, but there he is, little social media video back at Gawthorpe. Justin, what was uh, what is your reaction to seeing Weghorst back in the fold? Well, I think the first thing to say is that video was really strange, wasn't it? It showed him sort of walking into the training ground, looking like he'd rather be anywhere else in the world. And when they asked him, you know, what what he was uh, looking forward to most, he thought about it for about 30 seconds and then said, being successful for Burnley, which seems, I mean, putting out that video is an odd thing for the club to do in the first place, I think. (laughs) And, and 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 that response is an odd thing to say, isn't it? It's kind of, you know... Does that mean that he's, you know, definitely coming back or what? I mean, I still I find it very, very hard to believe that he hasn't burnt the bridges and there's any possibility of him him coming back. I see the response to the video was mostly negative, but there were a few people there who sort of were, were you know, I'd quite like to have him back. And I, I think my thinking on it is that he's kind of... He's got a lot. He's got a lot to prove, hasn't he? He's got points to prove. He's got. He's got. He's got a lot of things that he's said and done in the past that he needs to put right. And his his spell at Manchester United has only reinforced the fact that he's not a proven Premier League striker, which I think he thinks he is. Which kind of makes me sort of come round to the conclusion that he'd be much more dangerous playing for us than than he would be playing for somebody else because he's got a lot of a lot of ground to make up. I mean and also we have to get somebody in that position, don't we? Why why you know he's on a contract, we've signed him, we don't have to pay for him. Um I'm I don't I'm I sort of think he could do a decent job for us in that sort of number ten role that United played him in mm-hmm. like like the the pressing and the holding the ball up and popping it off out wide to our wingers and I see everybody else shaking their head, so I'm probably in a minority no. of one here. But I, 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 I wouldn't mind if he if he came back, and I would like it would be a great story, wouldn't it, for him to score a hat trick at Old Trafford for us next season? <laughs> Was it the Wolves game? The Wolves game, where the, the you know the the most number of pressing actions or something, how they described it in the uh, the Premier League stats that that season. So. As you say, his, his work rate, you know, you couldn't be knocked. And the, you know, we all remember how he combined with Joe Rodriguez for the goal against United, and the, his ability to to, to 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 drop deep and make it stick, bring others into play. He can carry the ball as well from deep as well. You know, get you up the pitch. But uh, ultimately, you know, it's roughly five goals in fifty Premier League games, and not the most mobile players. You know. It, it, He's a real paradox for me. You look at what he did in 15 minutes in the World Cup against the eventual champions, and then you look at him at other times, you're thinking, my word, he's absolutely hopeless. And 
you know, his, his record in, in, in a good league in Germany was respectable. Hmm. You know, Van Hal obviously thinks a lot of him. You know, it, 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 ultimately, the proof's going to be in the pudding, isn't it? You would, you would imagine he's going, he's going to train and, you know, be available until until otherwise, you know, someone else comes in if there's a another Turkish club shows interest. But the, for me, if, if that if that's the case, they have to show us the uh, the money. I'm afraid I don't want him going out on another year and leaving the club in like you know fifteen million, fifteen million. <laughs> Graves, there, are you joining this love in for Vuvegost? No, no, I'm not having it. I'm just it's his attitude for me. I'm just. You know, I, I find him just, I find him such a strange character. Uh, the video was just, the video was just hilarious. It made my teeth itch. It, that's how bad it was. You know, when he's, there was the pause and it's just, they've clearly said they've not ambushed him as he's getting out of his car. Clearly, you know, there's the bit of a setup where they go, oh, I'm going through the training ground doors and oh, here's, here's Vegos. So they it's obviously... The anyone's run after Vegos, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah. They've obviously said to him, look, when you come in, we're going to film you, blah, blah, blah. There's a bit of an awkward conversation about his haircut, which I actually quite like, slightly jealous of it. Um, and it's kind of like what you're hoping to achieve, what you're most looking forward to. Just say meeting Vinny and the boys, seeing the boys again. And there's a really awkward bit where he's thinking, just say something. Just And, it, you know, being a success here, at, and you just think, nah, uh, not for me. I think he's an absolute car horse, if I'm being really honest. I just think, he is. <laughs> I think he's useless. And I've seen enough of him at United, so a lot of his games at United. So pretty much every game he played for Burnley. And United aside and one or two other appearances. You know, when he started getting knocked and Jackson dropped him or subbed him, his true colours came out. We know he's a difficult character. You know, it's one of the reasons, by all accounts, that we were the only place who'd, who'd have him. Right? You know, nobody in the league would have him and, and things like that. And I think, you know, there's obviously vaccine and COVID connotations there. But for me, no, his attitude just, it doesn't look right. You know, you look at them videos. I mean, we do a lot of these videos. Everyone does these videos. Stand outside training ground, here are the players going back. And there's a genuine kind of like buzz about it. The club have put out a new video actually tonight, a training. And, you know, Zorori comes out in Mancini's goalie gloves and looks like he's taking on being a goalie and things like that. There's a bit of a laugh and things like that. And then it cuts to to Vegos sat in the canteen with Brownie. You know, Brownie has got the short straw sitting next to him. And then there's some <laughs> training footage where he just looks out of place. He looks like he's, you know, he looks a bit knackered, if I'm honest, uh, which he probably why, is. Why are, they put, why are they putting these videos out? I know, honestly. Are they, are, they, are they testing the water to see what the sort of fans? But look at the, look at the figures it's had. Doing. Look at the figures it's had. Yeah, it's like four four and a half million views or something. Yeah, Mad you know, so that's why they put it out. Yeah, but, it is. But, it's, kind you, of, you, it's there, isn't it? Do you not think it's exacerbated by his running with Connor Roberts? Though, do you not think if he'd have faded away, we've got relegated, and he's, you know, listen, Louis, Louis wants me to play top level European football to go to the World Cup. And, you know, the club of Burnley had said, if we got relegated, I could do that. I think nobody would have batted an island. But when Conor Roberts turned around and says, why didn't you do that for us, you know, when he scored in the Nations League against Wales? Yeah, suggest, and, suggest and, and, there's some and, sort of friction in the squad there, didn't ex it? Exactly. But most yeah. of those have gone now, haven't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, the, he, he, he's he wearing the number 13 of... shirt. 
apparently. He has to sort of uh, bring his. He has to sort of make up with the squad. They were saying that a half of them aren't there anymore anyway. No. So he'd probably walk in and not recognise anybody. I mean, if if Pace has said, "Look, I spent twelve million quid on this guy. He's under contract for another two years with us." Um, We've got to make the best of this. Vincent, can you integrate him in the team? And he's like, well, you know, it could be an impact sub, give us something different. Yeah, yeah, I mean, managers, like, as much as they say they want to be responsible for clubs' finances, aren't going to kick out international footballers out the door unless they've fallen out with them themselves and the company was nowhere near the club when all that stuff happened. He's not going to be here. He's not going to be here come the City game. I'll tell you that right now. He he will not be in this... They've given him squad number 13 by all accounts. I've just seen that. Someone's just pointed that out to me. He will not be in. He will not be here a bit. By Leverkusen, he'll be back in Turkey. I tell you, this is this is the agreed date for him to come back into training. And Vinny, Vinny's the ultimate professional. You know, he will give him a chance. You look at kind of all the questions he was asked last year about Vegos, and it was all like, "I've not spoke to him." You know, I don't know. Blah blah. blah. I don't think Pace is turning around and saying, "I spent twelve million." I, I think you know. I think I think it's probably a red line for company. If company look, if company wants him, and company comes out and says he's worked hard in training, you know we want to give him a chance. That's fine for me, but I don't. He's not going to be here. I tell you that right now. I'd be very very surprised if he's still here. And if if he does say that, if we do end up in that scenario, and I agree with you, Greavesy, I think that is unlikely. But if we do if we do end up in that situation, they've got to do another video where he sits down and explains all that. And he can joke about the Connor Roberts thing if he wants. They can handle it however they want. They have to do some PR with the fans and say, like, because you don't want him being booed when he comes on the field in the first game or something. And there is a slight danger that I'm not saying the whole turf would boo him, but you can imagine there would be some sections of the crowd if he came on as a sub, especially if they took off Benson or something and brought on Vegos, you know, some unpopular substitution. You could you could see that happening. You've got to you've got to get out ahead of that. But they haven't done that. Certainly not this uh, bizarre video. They haven't done so. I tend to it's, think you're right. I, I don't I don't see him fitting in. So the, the, you, you can question the stand. I mean, Turkish football's it's a higher standard. You know, the, the the Super League's a higher standard than the Championship. You know, if you put your, your Galatasaray's and Fenerbahce's etc. Besiktas up against. Most, you know, most championship sides, they'd probably beat them. You know, you could burn these games with Basak Shear the other year, and it was a, a you know a tough, a tough tie. But you do wonder, like for the sake of three months, you know, what Van Van Hal saying, you have to play top level European football. Yeah, see if he's if he's sharp and scoring goals at championship level, would it have made that much difference to Van Hal, who who wasn't going to start Veghorst in his World Cup side anyway? No, it's. Uh, no, it's 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 one of them. We'll, we'll see. Well, the telltale sign will be if he Burnley playing friendly games and uh, Vout's got an injury. Yeah, yeah. He's not featuring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, friendly games. Talking of friendly games, uh, the rather meagre pre-season program for Burnley has been boosted by the addition of a friendly on July twenty-eighth against Real Betis, which is an attractive one. Not at their stadium, but at the home of. Recreativo del Hueva in Andalusia. Anyone uh, going to be packing the sun lotion for that one? <laughs> it's quite a nice one, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. More attractive than with, uh, Genk. Yeah, with Pellegrini obviously coming in. Pe- Pellegrini coming into the equation with you know, a bit of a you know mm. reunion with uh, with with Vincent, where you know they they won the Premier League together. But uh, yeah, it, I, I just find it. Uh, 
I've, I've joked, I joked for years on end that your pre-season should be played behind closed doors. And now when it pretty much is, and you're getting not much information, it, for for a journalist, it, 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 you know, it, it drove me mad last summer because you, you're doing all the previews and things, you know, you speak to whatever magazine or radio before the season. They say, well, uh, how Burnley look to pre-season? You're like, uh-uh, not a clue. No so much Shrewsbury where they, where they played two separate sides, neither goalkeeper will play, and I know absolutely nothing about it. You know, it's... It, it, it was a real tough one, you know, with the amount of players that came through the door as well. You're not certain how they were going to line up, systems, who's looked good in pre-season, etc. From a journalistic point of view, it's a nightmare, but it's it worked. You know, the the, the pre-season worked last year. They hit the ground. They could they couldn't have started the season. You know, in terms of the first game, so you know, and and any better in terms of the performance. But uh, yeah, it's. I have I to say, it's, that's a plus point for Alan Pace, just to uh, to throw in a rare plus point from my point of view on Alan Pace. A lot of clubs use pre-season for money-spinning tours, don't they? I mean, over here in the States now, we've got Arsenal coming out, we've got Manchester United, AC, you know, they all, all the big, big, you know, the big six-type clubs in, 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 in the big clubs in Europe. Or Wrexham are out here as well, yeah. That's a bizarre one. But but so you have you have these big clubs come over. And I know from like talking to people, they don't really like it. The players don't this the coaches in particular don't like it. Mourinho used to hate it when they when they go over to America. And as much as he liked America, being in American stuff, he wanted to be on the training ground, putting down the basics, doing the drills and all that kind of stuff. He didn't want to be like greeting, meeting and greeting 100,000 people in Michigan or whatever. He wanted to be be on the training ground, really. So I don't think uh, pre-season... And it would have been tempting for Pace to take Burnley off to some money-spinning uh, series of, of friendlies. And it seems like we've gone with the manager on that one, which, uh, although we'd all love to see them more, I think it's probably a positive. You know? Well, the company talks a lot, doesn't he, about getting him on the training ground. He talks about doing yeah. the drills. He talks about getting that those routines in their head so they don't have to think about it. And you can't do that in games, can you? you you've got to do that on the training ground. And he's talked a lot about how getting back early over the summer has been really valuable to him to get with the younger players and get them involved. So I, I, I've no, I, I, I've never seen preseason be like a, a sort of pointer to how how good we're going to be in the season. It, it never it, it never works that way, does it? You know, because no. these games don't really count. All they are is is getting getting you know kilometers in the legs, aren't they? They're just sort of getting people fit. It's not about because that we're never playing against the same kind of opposition um, as as we face in the league. Certainly not this season coming. So. More time on the training ground is probably what company wants, isn't it? Yeah, so I've, seen, I've seen both sides of the coin, really. I've, I've seen the sort of the sheer logistic hard work it is to get, you know, abroad. Even, you know, going with Burnley, going with with Steve Cottrell to Austria and Italy and, you know, lugging the skips and, you know, all, all the equipment that's got to go out there, you know, getting on flights. I, mean, I can remember getting on a flight from... Uh, Stansted at like two in the morning or something with the with the first team squad after they played a, a friendly at Turf Moor and just like everyone getting to Austria and it being absolutely exhausted and this that and the other. But what the time they had in Austria, the, you know the, the 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 drills that that Steve put together, they worked so hard and you that was the sort of 
the first seat, the first summer he was here, you can see how we how we sort of organised that defence that went on to concede around around and just under the goal a game in the championship that season. Yeah. So you, you can get both sides of it done, but I can see Mourinho being fed up with like America's a different different kettle of fish altogether, isn't it? But, yeah. Well, talking of America, um, we have a couple of ex-clarets over here in Major League Soccer with Ashley Westwood having been joined by Scott Arfield at Charlotte. And uh, Scott Arfield was uh, talking to the media this week and Charlotte have kindly provided us with uh, some of the audio from that where Scott talks about Ashley Westwood's role in his uh, move to the United States. And, and also a little bit about a possible return to international football for him, even at uh, his ripe old age. In terms of in terms of Ashley, it was it was very pivotal on this uh, transition for me on and off the pitch, even before I came here. Um, I think the GM and the and the manager sort of leaned on them, uh, leaned on him, sorry, to talk about to talk about me as a player and a person. So obviously, me sat at, sat at this seat. He's obviously done he's done okay for me because he's obviously said the right things and hopefully I can back it up and on and off the pitch. Um, I'm here to represent this football club and I feel as if I can do it in a good way. No, I've always said, you know, at that time it was um, it was, a, it was a, a, such a difficult decision for me because, you know, I was captain at that, team, at that time. Um, you know, the players that then went to the World Cup was just sort of to start to come through and into fruition, the sort of... Um, the standards and the and the team ethic that we had back then was what you've seen in uh, at the World Cup this year. So, you know, it was a difficult decision, but as I said, I was desperate. I was desperate to to win the league for Rangers, and the, and the travelling did take its toll at that time. There's no doubt about it. Um, coming back on, on Thursday nights and and having to play half past twelves and sometimes in Astroturf, sometimes in old firm games, and you know that they're, they're difficult to play. Everybody thinks it's easy to play at, at Rangers and Celtic. It's it's no. It's definitely no. You need to be a certain, a certain player and a certain caliber of person to really get going. So, it did. It was a bit of adjustment. But now I'm here. I'm always, I'm always open. You know, I've still got an amazing friendship with with most of the most of the players there, um, and the manager. I've got full full respect, and we've we've got a fantastic relationship. So, you never say never in life. Um, and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then I'm extremely lucky to do so anyway. So, guys, it's good to see Scott Arfield extending his career like that, isn't it? I mean, it's interesting for for Burnley fans as well in North America to have a team every week where you sort of look to see, you know, how did uh, Westwood and, and Scott Arfield get on? I know the, actually the Burnley supporters group, North American Clarets, were going to have like a their annual meetup in Charlotte so that they could then in the evening after watching the Burnley game uh, go and watch, uh, it was Charlotte DC United was going to be the game. But unfortunately... The morning game we were going to watch on in the pub together, Burnley Forest, I think it was, has been moved uh, by TV to a Monday night game. So it's uh, uh, no longer going to happen, unfortunately. They are looking for something else to do. But but it's uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, he's such a popular popular player, isn't he, Greaves? Scott Arfield, he always will be remembered very fondly, I think, no? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. You know, I think, you know, we often think about MLS as being that kind of retirement ground. And I think that's unfair these days. I think, you know, when he yeah. first started in 98, you had uh, a lot of players going out there to see out kind of the last couple of years, their contracts and things like that. But actually, you know, I think it's a really interesting league. I think, you know, it's 
Um, it, it's got some good players. Obviously, there's a little-known Argentinian who's going to arrive in your neck of the woods sometime soon. And I'm sure, you know, the fact that... He arrived Westwood, this week. He arrived this week. I'm sure in his press conference, he'll talk about Ashley Westwood's pull uh, to MLS. But it's great to see them two back together. And it's great to see them doing well. I mean, you think about that injury that, that Westy picked up against uh, against West Ham, I think it was. You know, that looked like you're thinking he might not come back from this, you know, in his age and things. So, seeing him prolong his career, he, you know, he found top pins a few weeks ago with a real strike. You know, yeah. I've always loved Scott Arfield. I think the, the move to Rangers and the success he had there, playing European football, winning trophies, you know, that's kind of what he deserved. Because if you think about it, I think he was all set to sign for a club in League Two, weren't he, just before he signed for us? So, you know, that trajectory, his spell with us, the goal against Rovers, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's brilliant to see him, him kind of still at a really competitive level for a really competitive team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea of him coming back into the international setups an interesting one as well. I mean... Boards, I mean, could we see Scotty Arfield in the 2026 World Cup? It's a long way off, I know, three years. But if, if he's extending his career in MLS and he gets back into the Canada team, he left the Canada team because of the travel to and fro for playing CONCACAF games while he was in Scotland. And now he's saying, well, you know, I'm in North America now. So <laughs> Why not? Why not? I really enjoyed watching Canada in uh, in Qatar as well. And uh, yeah, it must be, be, be nice to play a Alongside someone like you know Alfonso Davies every every few months, but uh, yeah, it would. It's, I mean, it's, it's mad to think, isn't it? It's like ten years since he right? he got released by Huddersfield Town, and there was there was the famous yeah. tweet of I'm, I'm on the dole now, and he pitched up in pre season on trial and did ever so well, and uh, but even after signing a contract, if, if you remember, he he, he made a um, so he made a Rick. Against Blackburn, where uh, Jordan Rhodes scored the uh, officially the raggiest goal of all time uh, to, to equalise at, at the turf, and but bounced back the, the next game and had a you know, had a stormer against Birmingham, and uh, just such a clever footballer. And if he'd have had any pace whatsoever, would have been an absolutely outstanding Premier League player. But every every for someone who couldn't get in the side when Burnley got into the Europa League. To then go to Rangers and boss it and get to a, a Europa League final and you know win, win the uh, win the SPL and uh, just you know under a series of managers you know it weren't just like one manager he played on a, under two or three up there and uh, you know more often than not was one of the first choice picks and uh, I, I, I loved him to bits just a real chipper guy really good about the group and uh, yeah I wish him every successor him and West it's uh, be great to see him do well. Yeah, last game of the season, uh, the regular season in MLS is, uh, is Charlotte versus Inter Miami, and uh, Inter Miami are miles at the bottom of the Eastern Conference at the moment. But the presumption is that when Messi and Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba arrive next week, <laughs> that they might start to do a bit better. As ludicrous situation as oh, it is, in Iniesta going as well, isn't there? There was rumours about. I don't. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one. There's a limit with the designated player rule, but but the, 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 who knows? But 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 basically, it could be feasibly that Messi's chances of making the playoffs and extending his season into November, December, which MLS will be desperate for him to do for like viewing figures and all that kind of stuff, could come down to whether or not Inter Miami and Lionel Messi and Busquets can get the better of Ashley Westwood and Scott Arfield <laughs> on AstroTurf in Charlotte. 
So it's, it's a fascinating one. I mean, Justin, what do you make of it all? This uh, late career to, flourish. I have to say, I've got no interest whatsoever in American football. It's on at the wrong time of the day for me. Um, but obviously, I, I, now now these big names like Westwood, like Arfield, like the other fellow you mentioned, now these big names are coming into the game. <laughs> it might well be that I'm going to have to start picking up uh, an interest in it. And that sounds like a fascinating end to the season to me. It does. It does. That'd be uh, that'd be a good one for the North American Clarets to go to. Except the tickets will be about five hundred dollars each to get into that game because it's it's gone mad with Messi. Anyway, enough of all that. I don't know how we've ended up talking about Lionel Messi on a Burnley podcast, but we have. You never know what you're going to get when you tune into from the BOL end. You get Fabrizio Romano, Sasha Tavolieri, and unfortunately, we didn't have Woody this week. We should have said hello to Woody, but. Um, Anyway, that's it. We're out of time, but we will be back with more next week. In the meantime, of course, you can follow us on at uh, b Podcast on Twitter, where there's lots of content going up there and uh, lots of things we comment on during the week. You can also give us some feedback, questions, anything you want us to talk about next week. Subscribe and review us, please, as well, on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify in those little review slots. It does help other people find us. And uh, we'll speak to you again soon. All the best.